This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. This podcast is part of the Sandy Boy Productions podcast network. You can learn more about all the shows in our network when you go to sandyboyproductions.com. Today, you're listening to episode 67, and my guest is Michelle Eichard. Michelle is a speaker, author, and educator who helps kids, parents, and teachers navigate the complicated social world of early adolescence. Okay, I don't even know how I found her, but I found her and read her book, her newest book. It's called 14 Talks Before Age 14. Uh, That guides readers through the 14 essential conversations parents need to have with their kids before they start high school. Wow, this book is great. It talks to you about the simple conversations or at least conversations that you think will be simple to the really big, what you think might be really hard conversations. The book covers hygiene, alcohol, sex, reputation, friendship, freedom, so many topics in this book that I just like, I was underlining, you know, I I read it on my Kindle so you can like choose to go back to pages. And then I was taking notes on my notes app on my phone. I highly recommend this book. My oldest child is nine and I felt like it was a good time to read it, even though he's not going to be a preteen for a couple more years. We are getting there and I can already use some of the, like the methods of conversation that Michelle talks about in this book. Michelle is a CNN parenting writer and a member of the Today Show parenting team. Her work has been featured in publications like the Washington Post, People Magazine, the Chicago Tribune. She has a middle school leadership program that's amazing. I know this episode is going to be awesome for you today. I can just feel it. If you do enjoy it, friends, leave us a quick rating and review so that other parents can get in on the goodness. Uh, My hope when I started this podcast was that it could be a supportive place for parents or anybody helping raise kids to come together and grow and learn and just feel that support. So if you know anybody that is walking through the same part of life that you you might be, that I am, um, share this with them because that... That's how this podcast is going to get out there is is through that organic sharing. If you really do enjoy an episode or sharing it on your social media and who knows what friend from high school or whoever that that sees it on on your Facebook page might might jump in and start listening as well. And that just means so much to me when you all share. Well, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Michelle as much as I did. Okay, well, today on Why Is Everyone Yelling, I am so excited to have Michelle Eichard on the show. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Really pumped to have you on. I, When I had this vision of this podcast, I wanted it to be this like healthy mix of everyday parents and then also parents that brought some expertise into different topics into the show. So it could be like casual, but also Let's learn something. And so today we're going to do a little bit of both. So thank you for being here. 
Yeah, that's that's my vibe. I like to keep it really casual. I don't want to stress anybody out, but I do also like to um, share really good nuggets of information. So I'm here for all that. Okay, so first of all, uh, we're talking about tween and teenage years today. And I just want to get started by you sharing what in your life um, happened or what made you interested in this topic before your kids even entered that phase of their lives? It's such a funny question. Like, what happened to you? <laughs> what made you like this what really was weird? so time? hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the the short answer is I'm the professional answer is <laughs> I'm really interested in this phase of life, early adolescence in particular, because I think it's the time when we go through the most robust change. I call this time of life the middle school construction project because it's the time when each of us begin to build what we need to become adults. And that is an adult brain, an adult body, and an adult identity. And to me, I'm like geeking out on how exciting all those changes are and how awkward and weird and fun and like they're all over the place. Um, the more personal answer is I hated middle school. I had a really bad experience. Um, and I, I was always was kind of raw about it, even as an adult. I didn't know why it stuck with me for so long. I talked with other women who had the same feelings about middle school, like you couldn't pay me enough to go back. <laughs> and I thought that that feels broken. That feels like a real broken part of society. And I was um, interested in diving into the research and trying to make it better for the parents of kids who are going through it and the kids themselves. Yeah, it's such a hard phase for the kid. I mean, I remember how hard it was. I remember girls, you know, making up rumors and, and getting in fights for no reason. And I look back and think about how stressful that time was for me. And then also as adults, I mean, truly, we look at these kids and we think, oh my gosh, what are they doing? So I think as parents, you know, my oldest is nine. What I really want to do is be able to have this like um, understanding relationship with my kids while they're walking through those awkward, weird times. They don't really know why they're feeling the emotions that they're feeling. Um, so I guess let's just start with like when our kids are a little bit younger, which is one reason I was so excited to read this book now. I felt like, man, I'm probably going to want to revisit this in a couple years, but I am really arming myself with some good information. And I'm already seeing some of these things you talk about in the book with my nine-year-old, you know, as far as his relationship with me. So what are some things we can do when our kids are a little bit younger to prepare ourselves and to prepare them for those stages they're about to walk through? I love the question because we do have this sort of um, – urge to prepare the path for our kids and to prepare ourselves for what they're going to be going through. Um, the answer is, is going to be a little duplicitous. On the one hand, I think doing exactly what you did, reading ahead. That's how I was. I was constantly reading things and, and trying to have a like an intellectual understanding of, okay, this is what's going to happen in their brains. This is why they're going to behave a certain way. This is why the girls are going to start spreading rumors. I wanted to understand that from a sort of social developmental point of view. So being prepared intellectually is one thing. <laughs> and as you know, um, that all goes out the window the moment your kid is suffering or they make a mistake or they cause someone else to hurt. 
then it becomes a highly emotional thing. So I think what you can do is begin to practice some of the communication skills that are in the book and also some self-care because as your child enters this phase of life, they're going to start pulling away from you. And as much as we want to walk next to them and prepare them and guide them, their job is really to practice becoming independent. So um, it's just a terrible paradox that the age at which we really want to tell them what's going on and share our wisdom and guide the way they want nothing to do with us. So practicing kind of radical self-care in the sense of, you know, doing things you're interested in, not making your child your hobby and your world and your everything Mm -hmm. is going to be really helpful to both of you as you arrive there. Okay. First of all, uh, the book we're talking about is 14 Talks Before Age 14. Uh, Definitely pick that up. And I love that. I think I heard you say one time before, like, something around this topic and you suggested parents get a hobby, right? Like that's my number one piece of advice. When, when parents have a kid going into middle school and they say, what should I do? I say, get a hobby. (laughs) Because it's true. I have to read this piece from your book really quick and then we'll kind of talk about this topic specifically. Um, Sometimes making your tweens world smaller is the best way to keep them safe. This is not a book that shrugs off discipline and boundaries, but sometimes Parents resort to the shut-it-down approach because they feel they lack other viable options. They don't trust that their kids will make smart decisions, so they deny them any opportunity to make any decisions. The irony is kids don't learn how to make smart decisions without practice. Given that kids need to have experiences, good and bad, to learn from, the best thing a parent can do is help them evaluate, process, and reflect on what works and what doesn't. Okay. I love this. I just had a conversation with, I guess we'll call it an everyday mom interview, and her oldest is a sophomore in high school. And then she's got a middle school and a late elementary. And that is exactly what she was just talking about with me, is that um, that phase where you're starting to give your kids more freedom and the responsibility she feels, and also the gratitude that she feels that she's able to provide him with, okay, you can have this freedom now, but I'm still the safe place you come home to. So that when you are 19, 20 in your college dorm, wherever you are, like you've practiced these things. And so when you go home, like you remember the conversations we had. So let's just talk about like giving our kids freedom, even when it's hard. Right. So in the book, I, I call this the process of, of, transitioning from being your kid's manager to their assistant manager. And what happens in your child's brain at the time that they're sort of going through early adolescence and all the way through really those college years, um, and lots of people have heard sort of basic brain research, but it relies on this idea that the prefrontal cortex is restructuring during those years. That's the part of the brain that's responsible for critical thinking and decision making and all the stuff you want your kid to be really good at, impulse control, you know, all of that. Um, While it is undergoing construction, the emotional center of the brain steps up to be kind of the manager of the shop. It's making the decisions very impulsively, very emotionally. We all see this happening. Um, What I tell parents is that that leaves a job opening. And so parents need to become their kid's assistant manager. If you become a micromanager, it backfires. And I think all of us can 
relate to having been micromanaged by a parent or a boss or a teacher and it, a sibling, and it really doesn't go well. So what I ask parents to do is think about the worst boss they ever had, come up with a list of qualities that made that person a terrible boss. It's usually things like they micromanaged me, they were over emotional, they weren't a clear communicator. Flip that list and you have a really good job description for yourself. You become your child's assistant manager, which means to your point, they're going to make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> they're going to make messes. And instead of sweeping in to clean them up, you ask questions, you help them process. How, how, why did that happen? How did that feel? What could you do, do differently next time? And this is how you train your kid to get better and better at these things that we want them to be really good at once they're grown up. Yeah. You know, it's, I think that one of the greatest hopes as parents, most of us have is that we want to be the person our kids come to, right? Like when they're at a party and like, they're like, whoa, I am not comfortable with this, but I'm going to be embarrassed if I have to go home. I mean, I distinctly remember being in, it was seventh or eighth grade and I went to this party and I knew that some of the girls were going to be smoking weed. And I knew I had a couple friends that probably weren't. And I was like, okay, I'll be good because I'll have the girls that I know are safe. Well, the safe girls ended up doing it too. And I felt so comfortable just calling my dad and saying, I just need you to pick me up. And he didn't ask me questions, you know, other than like, I know you were uncomfortable, right? Um, but I think sometimes kids are scared because they're afraid if I call my parents like, They'll be mad that I was even at a party where I knew that was happening or whatever it may be. So I guess I'm most curious to know how we can instill relationships with our kids that um, make them want to come to us, you know, when they're 16 and when it's embarrassing and when they know they did something wrong, but like we are the safe place. How do we um, help them to know that we are the safe place? That is such a great question because you can say it, but you have to really model it. You can say, I want you to call me if you're ever in trouble. But when they call you, if you were then jumping to, well, who was there and what were they doing? And you know, I need to let the other parents know mm. that that was going on. Then instantly your kid is like, okay, that was the last time that I'm ever going to do that. So it can happen. It can, that breakdown can happen in a grand way like that, where it's a failed experiment. The kid called and it didn't work out well. And it can happen in micro levels every day when your reaction to your child feels like a judgment. And, and I say feels like because oftentimes we don't realize it. We aren't really being judgmental in our hearts, but our kids perceive it that way. And I'll tell you one of the very best things that we can do as parents to make sure that doesn't happen. It's gonna sound so silly, but this is the parenting advice that I get the most feedback on from parents. I call it having a Botox brow. You probably read about it in the book, um, but because of the way that their brains are developing, again, the part of the brain that's responsible for reading facial expressions doesn't get used by kids to read facial expressions until they're really in their 20s. So starting from 11 on, they're using the amygdala, the emotional center of the brain, to look at your face and decide based on looking at you how you feel. So there's a really cool study that that sort of um, brought this to light that they use a different part of the brain than adults do. Adults can look at someone's face and most of the time get it right. That person's mad. That person's fearful. That person's worried, whatever it might be. Kids 
are not good at that. So when your child comes in the door and it's a very sort of minor experience, you're cooking or you're you're doing an email and you turn to them and you say, oh, hey, how was your math test? And you crinkle up your forehead when you ask them because you're focusing or you're concentrating or whatever it is. Your kid sees wrinkly forehead and they think angry. Mom's angry or dad's angry. And so you say, hey, how was your math test? And the kid's like, ah, oh, I don't know. Why are you mad? We haven't even gotten the grades. And they storm off. They thought you were judging them. You weren't. And so the communication breaks down. I tell parents, pretend you are a celebrity on a late night talk show and you've been over Botox. You can't move your forehead. <laughs> Have that expression when you're talking to your kid. It's not a wide-eyed, crazy expression. It's a very neutral. My forehead isn't moving around when I talk. My eyes aren't squinching up. And then you say, hey, how was your math test? And your kid does not read anger on your face. And they tell you. And this is the biggest game changer. So even though that's a minor thing, it takes a lot of practice. And I think everyone should start. You asked before about what can you do when your kids are young? Start that neutral conversation style now. That'll pay off in spades later. I can already like I am so dramatic sometimes with how I respond to things my kids do. Like, I mean, just last night, my son He's about to ask me a question. He's like, never mind. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I just like and he does that often. My oldest, he really sees it because he can tell I'm frustrated because like his all of his little brothers are asking for things. And then, he, you know, and I'm like, ah, dang it, Lindsay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I'm at the age where now I need to start really getting the real Botox. So maybe that'll help. I just got it for the first time. I'm Did 49. you? And I just got it for the first time. And I was worried because I was like, I've built this career on this concept where I when I'm in <laughs> when I'm live in front of an audience, I scrunch up my forehead and then I don't. So I just got a teeny bit. But that's a, that's for a conversation for. Yeah, yeah. Day. Whether you get it or don't get it, um, you can call it Photox brow or a Botox brow. <laughs> it is really key. And I think it's so relatable what you just said that never mind, like your kids are going to quick to assume you feel a way that you don't. So. The other thing that we can all be doing is telling our kids, you know, when we were little and we'd say, use your words. Mm -hmm. I feel like I want to say that to parents all the time, like, use your words, <laughs> tell, tell them, don't make them guess, say, oh, honey, you know what? Did I just look like I was upset or I wasn't open for business? I am. I really want to hear what you have to say. Sorry. Yeah, I did that last night. I was like, oh, man, no, Great. no, no, no. I'm so sorry. Um, OK, well, real quick question, though. Would you go ahead and do it now at 38, the Botox? If you could go back. Okay. Would I do it? Uh, so here's the thing. And I and I'm not joking when I say this. Because I have practiced this concept of Botox brow for so long, even prior to getting it, I had a very wrinkle-free forehead because I hardly ever squinched those muscles up. So it's like people who were really good about wearing sunscreen, you know? So uh -huh. that was sort of a preventative thing. So my feeling on on whether I would do it or not is like I don't know, maybe if you want to try it a little bit, um, you know, you can always, it goes away in a few yeah. months. So not super permanent. I will say I'm happy with the results. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's good to know. I have the little yeah. 11 line here. Some people I feel like yeah. have the lines across. Mine's more so like right in between my eyebrows. And I'm like, well, maybe, you know, you look, you look good. You feel good. Right. Yeah. Well, you look great. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, okay. Let's talk about the brief conversation model and why that's important when talking with your kids about simple stuff and also hard stuff. Excellent. So the brief model is one that I introduce in the book, 14 Talks by Age 14. And brief is a um, an acronym. So 
It's five letters, B-R-I-E-F, and each one stands for um, a process in the conversation, a step, a stage in the conversation. What happens is up until age you know, 11-ish, it varies from kid to kid, family to family, you and your child have a really pretty good rapport. You know, you've got a, an easy way of communicating. They start to go through the process of pulling away in order to become independent. And language is the first thing to get sacrificed. They don't want to talk to you anymore. You cannot ramrod your way through that. You can't be like, just listen. That doesn't work. Raising your voice, saying it louder. Like it, you can try, but it just it does not work. So this new model for how to have conversations with kids is a kinder, gentler way to keep those conversations going so that when you need to talk about the serious stuff, the important stuff, um, your kid is going to have developed a routine with you through this new model. And it's exactly what you were asking before. They're going to feel comfortable talking to you because you don't freak out. You're not judgmental. You're a very good sounding board. So really quickly, B stands for begin peacefully. And that can be take a breath. <laughs> that can be um, scheduling a time to talk. That's usually one of the most popular among young tweens and teens. So instead of ambushing them, you might say, hey, we haven't caught up on grades in a while. Um, do you want to talk maybe after dinner or in the morning over breakfast? You pick. Give them a little bit of space for that. So that's B. R is relate to your child. What I mean by this is, um, I don't know if you've experienced this yet with a nine-year-old, but a lot of times a kid's first assumption is that you are suspicious or you're trying to catch them doing something wrong when you ask them a question. Totally. Right. So in the R in relate can be something like, hey, I just want you to know I'm not upset. I just want to touch base. Nothing, nothing wrong here. I just want to hang out with you. I'm curious how things are going. So B-R-I is interview for data. This is where you get to ask some questions. So, and again, your child is going to be treading on um, nervous ground, thinking you're trying to figure out if they've done something wrong. So here you, your question should be global in nature, not really specific and not pinpointing error. So instead of saying things like, you haven't been uh, jamming things down in your backpack and not turning them again in again, have you? You know, you don't want to be that specific. It's more like, how do you feel like things are going? What's your sense of how your grades are right now? Have you checked your portal recently? Things like that. Um, that's B-R-I. E is echo what you hear. And that I always say, if you've been to a therapist or seen one on TV, you know what it sounds like. That's kind of like, oh, okay. It sounds like you're saying you feel like you're on top of things, but you need to maybe pay closer attention to your science grade. And then F is feedback. That's the moment where you get to share your wisdom, your insight, your advice. And what I find is that most parents try to open the conversation with that. Mm. They think I've got about 10 seconds before my kid picks up their phone or rolls their eyes or their eyes glaze over. So I'm going to jump in with the advice. And kids don't like that and they tune it out. But if you warm them up with B-R-I-E, they're much more receptive to F feedback. So, so good. Um, you know, you mentioned the feedback part and it got me thinking there's one of the chapters. I don't know what the actual chapter is called, the, the overarching theme, but one of the things you talk about is, um, leaving room for like creative thinking and play and, um, things like that. I guess you don't necessarily call it play once they're tweens, but I'm still in the play <laughs> zone here with my little ones. Um, and I believe I'm not going to quote this exactly, but I loved it so much. You said something along the lines of 
Nothing will kill a creative idea more than a suggestion, right? So, mm-hmm. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so I know exactly what you're talking about. So um, the book covers 14 essential conversations to have, and some of them are the ones that you'd imagine, the big thorny ones, the drinking and, you know, and some of them are essential because they are components of a really happy, healthy life. And creativity is one of those. So this is the chapter on talking about creativity and how when your kids are little, they do a lot of creative play. Like they're drawing with chalk or building forts or, you know, Legos, whatever it may be. And in early adolescence, creativity seems to just die. And we we don't know why. We're like, why are they just staring at a screen all the time? I wish they would go outside or use their hands or do something meaningful. When your kid... Um, does something that is creative, if your reaction to it is to make a suggestion like, I love it, I love it. Now, wouldn't it be cool if you built it even taller? Or if you, um, what what about if you lined it up and you put put all the reds over here and all the blues over here, your kid is like, ugh. (laughs) (laughs) I was having fun and now it's become like a direction, yuck. So you wanna be cautious about that. And then just kind of generally as your kid is becoming an adolescent, Creativity and even play do not die, but they really do shift. A lot of it shifts to their in, inner project. So, you know, for me, it was like hours on trying to get my bangs really spiky. when I, when I was <laughs> And that was creative and that was play for me. And I loved it. I'm sure to my parents, it looked like a total waste of time, but I was really exploring and that was fun. Um, so I would say for parents to also be cautious about what they label as not play and not creative and to give it a kind of a broader space for their kids. I was just thinking about this with um, like video games for my kids recently um, because I get frustrated if they're on too much, right? Like I want to have limits with that. And I realized something. I totally project my frustration with me being on social media too much on them. If they're playing a video game for 30 minutes or an hour, whatever the time is, you know, depending on the day. And it's like, maybe it's not so bad that they're playing Minecraft right now. But I'm frustrated because I'm like, I don't want their heads in in their video game for so long. But really, I think I'm like annoyed at myself for scrolling for so long, you know? Yeah, I think that's really wise. I think um, so often what what we worry about or criticize in other people is a reflection of what is taking up space in our own brain. So, you know, the the people who are the first to comment on someone else's body are the people who have internalized some some real body shame or body hatred or body confusion, you know, whatever it may be. And I try to remember that when I get a comment from someone that feels uh, off the mark or hurtful or something. I'm like, I guess that's taking up a lot of space in their brain to cause them to have to talk about that. So I think it's smart for us as parents to evaluate what's taking up space in our brain and why. And in, in terms of video games, I will tell you, I am one of the parenting authors out there who's a fan. Mm. I I like them. I'm, I don't think screen time is particularly awful. I know that for some kids, it can be a trigger to disruptive behavior. But um but with just painting with a broad brush, and especially during a pandemic, I am not going to fault any parent for lots and lots of screen time. And I think it can be a creative space, um, and it can be a real communal space, and it can be a real refreshing space for people. Yeah, and we have 
lots of episodes on that topic, but just just to just to hammer it home a little bit more for if you people listening haven't heard those, it's like setting the expectations ahead of time is like just one of the things that I have really, really tried to work on with the video games and things like that. Because if they have that expectation before, it's a lot easier to say, okay, your time is up rather than just like ripping it from their hands. Yes, no one wants to be ambushed. (laughs) Hey everybody, a quick break here to let you know that I am a running coach. I don't know if anybody here knows that, but I first started podcasting back in 2016 and I host a running podcast called All Have Another with Lindsay Hine. And that show is where I interview professional and everyday runners. Well, that show got started because of my lifelong passion for running. I have been running marathons since 2008. I've run 16 marathons and I've coached dozens of athletes to Boston qualifying times, breaking four hours in their first marathon, running their first half marathon. Uh, And I have devised some really cool training plans. I have 14 week half marathon training plans and 18 week marathon training plans. If you have thought, hey, I'm ready to train for a marathon or a half marathon or do something challenging like that. I highly encourage you to go check out these plans. They are very comprehensive and detailed, and I put a lot of heart and soul into them and just lots of years of experience poured into these plans. Uh, When you go to lindsayhine.com, there's a tab for training plans, and you can check those out there. I also coach runners, so if you are interested in a coach for an upcoming race, I'm your girl. You can email me at lindsay at sandyboyproductions.com. And for those training plans, listeners of this show can get $5 off. Just go to lindsayhine.com, click on the training plans tab, and use the code LINDSAY5. That's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-5. All right, friends, back to my conversation with Michelle. Okay, there's two topics in particular that I want to make sure we get to um, from the book, 14 Talks Before Age 14. One is fairness and one is, um, I don't know if this is the actual title of the chapter. My book is on um, the Kindle, so it's not as quick to just like, you know, flip around when I was like looking back through it. Um, But the other one is just on like friendships and reputation, okay? Because I think that... That is just a huge one. The friendships. and Let's start with friendships and reputation um, and how we talk to our kids about what reputation is and how they should handle that. Sure. So I think reputation is such a, a tricky topic for parents to deal with because on the one hand, we say to our kids all the time, don't worry about what other people think about you, right? I just said that this morning about the pants my son was wearing. Exactly. I mean, all the time we're like, be your own person, be unique, don't worry. It doesn't matter what other people think. And then we say, what will people think Mm -hmm. if you do that? (laughs) Don't behave that way. What will people think? Don't be seen in that out in public. What will people say? So we are sending a very mixed message about reputation. I I think the most important thing we can do is think about that as parents and, um, and just sort of marinate in what message am I sending my kid? I think it's really important when a kid messes up in your, let's say not in your house, but in your community, Mm. you're going to hear rumors, you're going to, you know, or your child's going to report back to you, somebody got in trouble or whatever it is. I think it's really important to ask some very open-ended questions like, 
does that seem uh, characteristic of them or is does this seem like they just made a mistake or is this something that happens often or whether it does or doesn't what's the best way you can support this person how could you make this worse for them and how could you make it better for them because very likely your child is going to find themselves in the same position where they've made a mistake done something wrong had a failure screwed up <laughs> publicly especially now that everything feels more public right and so I, I think as a community, we need to begin embracing mistakes and how to help teens not feel shame when they make them, even if they're in the public eye, even if that's a kid who sent a nude and got in trouble for it. Your conversation with your child about that needs to be, well, what's the best way you can support this person to get through this crisis that they're having and not dogpile onto it and make it worse? I mean, that just makes my that I mean, it's like, imagine if that if it's your child. That right. was the one that did the thing. And I mean, gosh, it was so different when we were growing up, you and I. We didn't have that access to like, oh, that mistake is shown to every person. Um, but I, I think back and I remember the moms who were gossipy about the stuff. And it's like, man, I don't ever want my kids to think I'm playing that game, you know. And I love, I love the idea of... um Instead of being like, well, you better never hang out with that kid again, saying, how can we support that kid? Everybody screws up. That's right. And the answer may be as simple as, well, I'm just not going to talk about it with other kids or I'm going to be sure if I get forwarded something, I'm just going to delete it. You know, you don't I don't want to put the pressure on little kids to have to stand up in big, bold public ways in defense of of other people because they can draw a target towards them. And some kids are good at it, they can do it. And some kids are very afraid of that. And I don't wanna push them past their comfort level, but everybody can do small things. Everybody can find what their comfort level is. They could say, if a kid's being teased, rather than speaking up in front of the bully, they might approach that child later and say, I saw what happened to you. And I'm so sorry, what that person said wasn't right. That's a great comfort to the child who's been made fun of if you feel that you can't in the moment speak up and say something. So um, I'm with you. I think there are lots of little things that we can be doing to break down that rumor mill, the gossip, and to be more supportive of kids who really need it. And they're just kids. Yeah, I, I want to focus in on that just a little bit more because I think that we do feel like, well, why didn't you stand up for him? Why didn't you say something? And we don't realize what that pressure is. We don't realize that they might be scared that then they'll be ostracized or, or whatever. So I love giving the, them the freedom to feel like there are more than one way to stand up for someone who isn't being treated nicely. That's right. Everybody has a little bit of power. You might not feel like you have a lot of power, especially when you're 12 and everything is very precarious and you're changing in so many ways you kind of don't know who you are um, but everybody has a little bit of power and they can figure out their own comfort level in using that okay our kid comes home and they're super sad and crying or whatever it is because the friendship isn't working out thing bad things are happening with the friend circle what do we do 
I cannot tell you how common this is. So what I want every parent to do is to normalize friendships ending. And and I love that you asked me at the start of this episode, um, what can we do with our younger kids to prepare them? And this is one of the things we can do. We can start talking about the fact that friendships don't always last forever. I think we put a lot of pressure on kids that way, but I wouldn't expect anyone to be dating their first boyfriend or to still be friends with their first best friend. Um, the stat is that 1% of friendships made in seventh grade last through high school. Wow. 1%. 1%. And and we act like once you have a friend to be a good friend, you better keep that friendship alive forever or what's wrong with you. So when your kid comes home and they're crying and they're sad, the first thing that you can say is this must be really hard. I I think you should take some time to feel what you feel. It It makes a lot of sense to me. And I want you to know most friendships go through and end. Most friendships don't last forever. It's very normal for this to happen, even if it is painful. So acknowledge the normalcy of it. I think that's huge. And then your child will tell you what they need. You you can ask them. So would you like some time alone? Would you like to sit with me and cuddle and watch TV? Would you like, you know, kind of immediately, what's going to soothe you through this? Do not call the other parent. <laughs> There is zero need to get involved. It is not helpful to your child in learning how to navigate relationship changes. It most of the time will position your child as a sort of tattletale who will get that heat and that feedback socially in another way, in a bad way. So um, being supportive and empathetic, offering you know ways that they can soothe themselves or you can help them do that. And then creating opportunity for them to meet and connect with other people is going to be huge. I love that you don't have to call the other parent. No, I mean, no. from a young age, parents be getting involved with this way too much. <laughs> just, every, you know, the little fights on the playground when they're six. I mean, it's just, oh, it's, it's almost, I don't know if the right word is over parenting or what not, but yeah, I mean, and, and you can get sucked into that real quick. You can, and there there tends to be this sort of moral fervor around it, like, well, we have to protect the kids, and it's my job to keep the kids safe, and I've got to make sure. And the truth is that when you step in and you try to micromanage social situations, you are doing a huge disservice to your child. They have to learn how to cope with feeling badly, to cope with heartache and breakup and things that will happen later in life, lots and lots of times, losing a friend, losing a job, losing a whatever, you know, a partner. Um, so they've got to develop their own coping skills and figure out then how to reconnect with other people. I, I absolutely want parents to be kind and supportive, but not to socially engineer and orchestrate those things. Yeah. Because if we're fixing everything now, what in the heck are they going to do when they That's grow right. up? There's so, the, these are the kids who <laughs> I'm in several parenting groups online and many of them, my kids, I started doing this work when they were two and four and they're now 19 and 21. So I'm in some college groups, right? And it's shocking the number of parents who are like, how do I get in touch with a professor to complain about a grade? And I'm like, go. You don't. That's the answer. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> but these, these are the perma fixers who are like, but my child's not comfortable doing it. And, and, and they have to get comfortable. And the sooner you start, the better, because it takes a long time. I mean, adolescence is a good 10 years for a reason. It takes a long time to practice this stuff. Okay, we're going to briefly talk on fairness. And then I want to ask you a question about how you're ma handling like your kids being adults now. 
Okay. <laughs> um, fairness. This is something if you have multiple kids that you are dealing with from a very young age. Just yesterday, I took my younger two to a toy store and bought each of them a toy simply because I wanted to and because the younger one finally used the bathroom at school and I felt like that was a really big freaking deal. And I, you know, I went and got them like a bag of chips and I was like, you know what? I also want to get them a toy. So I'm just going to do that because I can. Well, obviously, immediately when my big boys come home, why'd Russell get something too? He didn't, you know, Sandy's the one that did the bathroom thing. And so it all turned into this like, well, why didn't we also get something? And my husband and I have been very, very like honed in on this isn't all ever going to be fair. Just because somebody gets something doesn't mean somebody else gets something. We're not like counting Christmas presents either. It's like, that's just not how the world operates. So that's not how our family's going to operate. Um, so let's talk about fairness. When our kid comes home, they're, say they're 12 and like, Brittany got a brand new cell phone or one of our neighbor kids just got a dirt bike for Christmas and our kids got like, you know, these like $30 games. <laughs> um, how do we communicate with them what fairness really means and what really matters? So the big message around fairness, I think, is that fairness isn't everybody getting everything equal. Fairness is people getting what they need in order to be successful um, in terms of gifts, I mean, that doesn't really have anything to do with what you need. That's just a, a nice extra thing. And so with that, I would just have to say, well, you know, maybe you'll get to write it sometime if you're nice. <laughs> but uh, we're just that's just not something that we did. I hope you're happy about the things you have and not sad about the things you don't. I mean, that was a refrain that I used all the time. I love that phrase. That's so good. So, uh, but in terms of, of more basic kind of what's fair and what's not, I, I mean, I think you just say to kids, there are moments when I really concentrate on you because you need the most, you know, when I need to take you to a tutor or to a doctor's appointment or you're sick, or we're really excited about something that you've accomplished and we're celebrating you. And then there are moments when we do that for other members of the family and that's just being part of the same team. So um, I would not dive deep into explaining that logically because they're not going to get it. Usually when a kid cries, that's not fair. Mm. The subtext there is I need, I need something from you. And so maybe you could be like, okay, you know, didn't get you the toys. They got the toys. Um, is there something else that you need this evening? Would you like a few extra minutes with me during our reading time? Or, you know, do you feel like you're not getting sort of the attention? And, and if their if their answer is no, I don't want it. I wanted the toy. Then you say, ah, bummer. Okay. Sorry. I couldn't help. <laughs> and that's that. Hey friends, I want to tell you quickly about the multivitamin that my kids take every day. It is by Prevenex and it is the Prevenex Supervites Children's Vitamin. This vitamin contains optimal forms and amounts of key vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants that support children low in sugar from natural sources, preservative, artificial, addictive, and junk-free. They are also soy, dairy, and gluten-free. These vitamins contain 28 organic superfruits and veggies. Each serving of Superbites contains organic broccoli, kale, beet, spinach, carriage, pomegranate, acai fruit, and more. And they taste good. My kids all love them. If you have a kid that's weird about things like this, though, you can always throw them in a smoothie. 
and they won't even know. And they're still getting all that goodness in their body. I know that like lots of kids vitamins these days are just like in gummy form and they have lots of sugar and who knows what they're really made with. Well, I know that Prevenex is made with quality, effective ingredients. We've been using their vitamins for almost two years now in our house and I am totally on board. Uh, They also donate a bottle to malnourished kids around the world for every bottle you purchase. So that is pretty freaking cool. Go to Prevenex.com, use the code Lindsay15, that's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-1-5, and that will save you 15% off your order. All right, friends, back to my conversation with Michelle. Um, Tell me your thoughts on parents saying, and I am guilty of this, I don't know if it's good or bad, life's not fair. Yeah, I think it's true. Life's not fair. I think it's a it's a bummer sometimes when you want to get more out of it as a child. If you're if you truly are like I have a need that's not being met, mm-hmm. then that's that's a real bummer to hear back. You know, because sometimes you want to get to why your kids throwing the tantrum or having that reaction. Um, and so I think life's not fair is is accurate, and in in some instances it may be appropriate to say and your kid is quiet about it afterwards probably if they're having a real emotional response to something and you say life's not fair it's not going to help because if I were having an emotional response to something and my husband said oh life's not fair I'd be like oh, you were what? supposed to complain and listen to me complain like totally so, so the better response if you really want to get them to calm down might be like tell me more tell me more about why you're upset I love the idea, too, of um, like putting ourselves in their shoes as an adult. Like, how would we respond to this? And our prefrontal cortex is fully formed. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay. So you guys need to just get this book because there's just no how, no way we could have dove into all the topics because like we mentioned, there are simple, basic topics, but also like Michelle dives into alcohol and sex and so many other difficult conversations that we need to be having with our kids. Um, Because if we don't bring it up, don't think that somebody else isn't bringing it up, right? That's exactly it. They're going to talk about it, whether you're in on the conversation or not. So make yourself a seat at the table. Okay, Michelle, you mentioned your kids, 18 and 21? 19 and 21. 19 and 21. Tell me, as someone who has really focused their life on the tween and teen years, from before your kids were even near that, and now they're out of it. How does that feel for you? And how are you dealing with being an empty nester? Um, It is a triumph. (laughs) (laughs) I love having older kids. My friends tell me all the time um, that I should be the poster child for empty nesting because I am having a blast. I love my older kids. They're fun to talk to. They're, you know, they were just home for a month and we just did so many fun adult things together, which was great. But I also love when they're gone. I love knowing that they're out there um, at the beginning of their adult lives, exploring and celebrating and stumbling around. And um, that's where I wanted them to be. And I got a hobby early on. (laughs) And so I've kept up with it. And I like having the perfect quietness of a house to write in. That's really big for me. So uh, if if anybody's worried about an empty nest, don't be. It's beautiful. I love it. We eat what we want for dinner when we want. 
That's so, so nice. It's so good. I feel like I'll be really sad. And I'm like, why am I preparing for this mentally when my oldest child is nine and my youngest is three? Well, I mean, it goes by quickly, I will say. And it's an, it's a good thing to think about. Um, I wouldn't worry about it. I think that this is life. This is the way we morph and change. And if you can get good with transitions, which you will with four kids growing up, then this will just be one more transition. And then the next thing is when they, you know, bring a partner home or maybe they start families of their own. And I'm very excited about that, not to sound like a crazy person. but <laughs> No, I already feel like that, which is ridiculous because I'm just now getting out of diapers. I'm like, I can't, I, the only thing I can imagine loving more than your own babies is your grandbabies. Oh, trust me. I, there was an SNL skit about that recently. I don't know if you saw it. They were trying to get these, these, um, it was an ad for Bed Bath & Beyond. And they're like, what do you want this year for Christmas? Asking the women there. And they were all like grandbabies. <laughs> and it's like, obviously you don't really want that anytime super soon, but like you, right. you just like, instinctually think like that yeah. some With of a us 20 year old and a 19 year old I'm like in the next 10 years yeah. it's reasonable to imagine yeah that kids could be starting families or maybe they won't I don't want to put that on them maybe totally. they won't but um but yes I think about it <laughs> I love it okay so let's wrap up with into podcast questions here um what is something professionally or personally that you have not done that you would like to do uh, okay, so my husband and I, as part of our empty nesting thing, are thinking a lot about buying a little piece of land in the mountains and putting a container home up there. So this is taking up a lot of the free space in my brain is just um, getting really excited about what it would be like to have a little mountain home. And you, by the way, I live in Raleigh and you live in Charlotte, so we're fairly close. Oh, so you can come visit it. <laughs> yeah, I'll come to the container home for sure. Well, and that that is time consuming. Super time consuming, but it's fun for us to be like, we, this is a project for us, like a joint activity. So we're excited about that. And what was the hobby you said you picked up? Uh, writing. It was writing. Although this past year, my hobby has been yoga. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Do you love yeah, it? Uh, yeah. In fact, the container home has to have another container next to it where I can just do yoga. Perfect. Yeah. Um, what is the best, most recent book you've read? The Sentence by Louise Erdrich. Do you know her? Mm -mm. She wrote The Roundhouse. Okay. Um, she's amazing. She's Native American. And she read this book is about, she's very funny, is about a woman who is incarcerated, gets out of jail, gets a job at a independent bookstore, only to discover that the bookstore is haunted by their most annoying customer after she died. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. It's so good. Um, do you have a kid's book or like a teenage book that you recommend? Uh, well, I love YA and I love the book, Frankly in Love, for kids who are into YA. It's about, um, it's been years since I've read it, I think, but it's about an Asian American boy whose parents don't want him to date a white girl, but you know what happens? He falls in love with a white girl. So that's really good. Um, and then for little, little kids, you know, it's been a long time, but I love all the classics, uh, you know, like Snowy Day and all that kind of stuff. Um, the book, did you enjoy reading it as an adult? The young, the young adult book? Oh, yes. I read it and I loved it. And I've passed it on to like four friends. It's okay. very funny. It's very funny. Okay. I want to read that. Um, mm -hmm. Two more questions. What is um, a trip or some sort of adventure you've done with your family that you would recommend? Our biggest family adventure so far is a school in Mozambique brought me in for three days to talk to 
parents and teachers and staff. And so um, I use my speaker's fee to bring my family along. Heck yeah. It was um, it really ended up paying for the vacation. It wasn't income, but it was vacation. And we did a safari in South Africa, which was really life changing for us. That's just one of those things that you can't imagine those animals so close and so big until you see it for yourself. So that was the most incredible trip. Was it scary? Like seeing them so close? Uh, you would think it would be because the safari we went on was was like, you're not in a big group, you're in a Jeep with the driver and your family and they veer off and they're like, no one move because that, <laughs> that, that thing will jump. And so it seems terrifying, but you do it once or twice, a morning and an evening. And the next time you go out, you're just like so stunned. You can't be afraid. It's uh, too beautiful to be afraid. It really is. Ah, uh, that's incredible. Okay. Our last question, Michelle, what is your last message to leave with our audience today? Oh, okay. What I usually try to end on for parents is a note of grace that if you were listening and you thought, man, I've screwed things up or I haven't started this conversation soon enough, or I don't think we have good, you know, rapport with my kid. Um, early adolescence is a time when your kid's going to reinvent themselves. So it is perfectly natural for you to reinvent your relationship with them, your relationship to yourself as well. It is a time for fresh beginnings. So do not beat yourself up if you're feeling like I might have I might have screwed this up in some way you haven't. And it's always a great day for a fresh start. Beautiful. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks for having me. This was a fun chat. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Michelle, for coming on the show. What an honor to have you on the podcast. You all can learn more from Michelle. She is Michelle Eichard on Instagram. That is Michelle with two L's, I-C-A-R-D. You can also find her online, michelleichard.com. Definitely go check out that book, 14 Talks Before Age 14. We would love to connect with you here on Instagram. We are Why Is Everyone Yelling? as well as a Facebook group that is just lovely and wonderful. We've got a lot of great friends in that group. That's also called Why Is Everyone Yelling? I am honored that you spent this hour with us. Thank you for being here. Tell a friend about the show and we will see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling? <laughs>